And I want to give you kind of a preview. We're starting a series on Easter. Uh, it's going to go for about three or four weeks. And we'd love for you guys to, to go online, Facebook. You can see some of the uh, information about what the series is going to look like as we go into it. But I want to show, show you a quick preview. Do you ever wish you owned a time machine so you could just punch in the right date and go back and change what your past self chose so the feeling of guilt, shame, or regret could finally subside? Or maybe you'd use that time machine to fast forward in life because you're worried about where it's headed. Do you ever wish you could just zip right past the current situation to see what's next? Because the anxiety that you're feeling can be overwhelming. Or maybe it's today is just not how you had planned it. Just trying to make the next right decision so that the trajectory of your life can be changed. This can all leave you feeling hopeless. But the good news today is that you don't need a time machine because you have love. Now, hear me out. The love of God that we can experience in Christ offers us a resurrection life. The love of God reigns over our past so our mistakes are wiped away. The love of God reigns over our presence so our lives can be redefined. And the love of God reigns over our future so we can have hope. I want to invite you to join me on Easter Sunday as we begin a sermon series where we will discover all the ways that God's love can change everything and give us hope today. You won't want to miss this series. And the best part is, there's no time machine required. Amen. So we're going to be sending out some information uh, online. And just to kind of give you an idea of what it's going to look like, like you said, we're going to talk about um, love reigning over our past, our present, our future. If you know someone who really needs life transformation, this is going to be an incredible series. It's directed especially to people who are new, maybe new to the faith or maybe who are searching. But at the same time, it's going to be ministry to people who are just who are dry and maybe feeling, you know, a little bit dry and like they're in the desert place. So this is going to hopefully be inspirational and an opportunity for us to grow in our faith, but also to just reach out and, you know, connect with people and love people well. That's something we want to do. So invite somebody uh, as we kind of move forward. We're going to talk more and more about what it means to be missional and how we do that well and how we can prepare for that ahead of time. Part of that is just building friendships with people who don't know Jesus. Uh, not many people have friends, as, as believers, have a lot of friends who, who, are, uh, who are not Christians, and that's not good. We need to develop friendships with people who don't know Jesus. Otherwise, how are we ever going to preach the gospel to them and tell them the good news? So today, obviously, is Palm Sunday. Yeah. I'll break that. So today is, is Palm Sunday, and so there's a lot that that means. Um, it commemorates uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Most of us know some of that. But I'm gonna, I want to show you another quick video as a kind of a context, because what I have to say, it's, it's, kinda, it's not real long this morning, but um, the context is really important. So I just want to take just a minute, more of your time in a video. I know we've done a lot of videos this morning. But I want to just take a minute and just kind of present some context, and I'll come back and we'll, we'll finish the message. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it no. is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. 
Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up, Now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that, and probably Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah. What? Well, Jesus just told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people. and That's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding in on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but the... And the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches, the palm branches symbolize triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The branch. Palm branches, Palm Sunday. I thought it was the palm. They should call it Branch Sunday because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of his passion and the joy of his resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings. Anybody got a friend like that? If not, you're that friend. <laughs> just saying. So I just want to read some scripture. This is Matthew 21.8. He mentioned that in the video. It says, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so the context I mentioned was, uh, you know, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days before. Um, the city was excited. Uh, it was just going crazy because Passover, the season of Passover was there. And so imagine how many people were gathered. You know, we always try to imagine what it looked like in the context of the scripture. Um, but it, they say that probably over 2 million people would come to Jerusalem 
during the season of Passover. So it, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people lined the road when Jesus came through. And so these people are crying out something very, very interesting. This Hosanna and what they're saying and how they're saying it's really, really, really interesting because they were basically saying two things. One, they were saying, we receive you as a king. Remember, he, he rode in on a donkey. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But they received him as a king, and then the, the, the Bible says they also received him as the Messiah because that word Hosanna is tied to Psalm 118.25 where it says this. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so they saw him as the son of David. That was the title for the Messiah. They also said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you have authority and you have the power to actually save, which was amazing. And so they mentioned Zechariah 9.9, which was Matthew speaking to this prophecy. He was, he was recognizing, again, as he wrote this after this occurred, of course, it's hindsight 2020. But he recognized on that day what was actually occurring. And I'm not sure how many of them knew Zechariah 9.9, except for they were very religious people, and they were all, most of them were looking for the Messiah. That's part of what the Passover was about. And I'm not going to go into that. But it was also incredibly symbolic of what Jesus was doing as he was coming in. He was coming in to be the Passover lamb. And they all got it, and they all understood. And many, many people were saying, he's the king, he's the Messiah. And the fact that he rode a donkey was very, very interesting because that's how kings came in triumph, right? If they were going out to war, if they were going out to war, they would ride a stallion, and you should be very afraid when they're doing that. Um, but coming into Jerusalem, he was coming in had, with triumph in mind because he was fulfilling a prophecy. And so there was a picture in Zechariah 9.9 of three things about the Messiah I just want to kind of point out this morning. One, that he was righteous, and he would be righteous. Um, righteousness has many shades of meaning, but the biggest one is moral perfection. Jesus was perfect. The Messiah was going to be perfect, and we know that that was Jesus. It also suggested that Christ would perfectly fulfill all of God's law. In other words, everything that God was requiring of mankind, everything that was required, Jesus was going to fulfill that as the Messiah, as the Christ. He was also going to bring righteousness to earth. and That's something that God is busy doing through his church. Um, He brings influence. He brings um, impact through our church as we planted out, as we were talking about earlier with Andrew and Jamie, that the, the passion and the love and the revelation that God has given us about the gospel and understanding his grace and his goodness and his kindness. Um, it's not like that church didn't already understand that, but the, in many ways they got a boost in the arm when Andrew and Jamie came in because that was a revelation that, w- that he's given us as a church that he wants to transfer into everywhere that he can send people. So everywhere you go, if you go to school, um, yesterday I was at the coffee house. If you get to translate what, what this gospel means, you get to translate the righteousness of God, the influence, right standing with God. You get to bring that into um, people around you. And so he wants to bring it <clears throat> to the earth, and he does that by us trusting in him. That's pretty obvious. And then ultimately he establishes his kingdom on earth. Psalm 45, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, so many scriptures that speak to this, that he would come. And that one day he would set up rule here on earth. And that's fascinating because when they were looking for the Messiah in that day, in the day where Matthew was was quoting Zechariah, this was a promise and a prophecy that they were looking forward to. They were longing for a Messiah. They were under the, the thumb of Rome. 
It was oppressive in a million different ways. It was horrible. And they were crying out for a Messiah, crying out for a Savior. And they longed for Him to come and to just break you know, the back of Rome, to set them free in a practical setting. And uh, He did not actually come the way they thought He was going to come. But the Messiah is coming. Eventually, the Bible says, He's going to establish His kingdom on the earth. And so whether you're pre, post, or mid-trib, I'm not sure what your the- where your theology lies, but either way, whether it's uh, front, middle, or backside of it, he's coming and he's going to establish his authority, his- establish his reign. Second, he would offer salvation. This one we kind of get. It's interesting how Zechariah put it, though. He said he actually declared that the Messiah would have salvation. It's an interesting way to put it. Not that he would just bring it, but he would have it, which kind of leans into this mindset of it was his possession. He owned salvation, and because he owned it, it was his to give, and he can freely give it to whoever he chose. And what's amazing is he chose to give it to whoever would receive it. Not everybody gets it. It's not automatic. It's free. It wasn't free to him. It cost him everything. It cost the Father everything, but it's free to you and I. But it's costly, and, uh, and we, have to, we have to reach out and grab it by faith, and it's something we'll kind of get into as we go into this series um, but like righteousness, salvation is associated with many things. Deliverance, help, safety, vengeance, preservation, and victory. And they mentioned how Jesus was coming in with victory. And so he would give us victory over sin, over death, over Satan, over the trials of life. Everything that would ever get in the way, Jesus would come because of what he was about to do on the cross. He was going to preserve us in victory. He was going to settle it once and for all. In the last days, he's going to take vengeance against God's enemies. Again, there's a moment coming. We forget this sometimes as believers, but there's a, there's a moment coming where all of his enemies will be made footstool. That's what the Bible says. That every, everything that rises up against the Christ, everything that stands up against God, in every place where mercy has been available, at some point, mercy will no longer be available. And that's a frightening, frightening thing. It really is, and we're going to get to that. Lastly, Christ would come in peace. And this is the big deal. This is kind of what I want to emphasize this morning. When he first came, he came in on a donkey. He came riding as a king, but riding as a king with peace. And it's important. And the contrast is he could have come in on a war horse. Because here's the thing. Jesus could have come, even though he was the king, he could have come as a conquering king. We know this. Um, because we saw his power over the demonic. Anytime the demonic rose its, its, its ugly head, he would cast it down. Anytime sickness would raise its head, he would put it in its place. And then ultimately, all of sin, past, present, and future, all of mankind's sin, he took upon himself on the cross, and he put it down. He put it down, and it's done. This was the king of glory. He had never sinned. He was perfect in every way. He was the Messiah He had all authority. The Bible says that everything that was made was made for him, was made through him, it was made by him. He owns it all. He could have come with vengeance on that day. And he would have been right to do it. Because the Bible says every single one of us, we've sinned, we've we've missed the mark, we've um, violated God's kingdom, we've become our own God, we've become our own king, we've set up camp, In his camp, we've pushed back in every way. We've been rebellious. And so in every way, we don't deserve salvation. We deserve vengeance. We deserve justice. But instead of that, on that day, instead of bringing justice, instead of bringing vengeance, he brought peace. 
And it's important to understand that. Spiritual peace, rest for our souls, freedom from the guilt of sin, spiritual comfort, eternal security. He brought peace with God, a reconciliation with the Father through the forgiveness of sins in Him and on what He did on the cross. Practical peace. He brought peace with other people. We're going to get to that as scripture in just a second. The unity of believers in the church in Christ's body. Peace on earth. Remember the, the, the Christmas message. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Justice and righteousness in the earth, which will ultimately be established forever and ever at some point. Every unrighteous act, every injustice, everything that breaks your heart has broken the heart of God. And he sent Jesus to, to, to fulfill everything that was necessary to put injustice down finally and forever. And we're in the process of that. We're in the middle of that right now. But it didn't have to be that way. He could have come in vengeance. But listen to the scripture, Ephesians 2, about him bringing peace. It says, so he is our peace. Isn't it interesting? Zechariah said he has salvation. And about peace, in Ephesians it said he is our peace. In his body he's made Jewish and non-Jewish people one by breaking down the wall of hostility that kept them apart. He brought an end to the commandments and demands found in Moses' teaching so that he could take Jewish and non-Jewish people and create one new humanity in himself. So he made peace. He also brought them back to God in one body by his cross on which he killed the hostility. In other words, everything that divides us, race, um, sex, any of those, every issue, every ism that we, we hear people you know, talking about on the, on the daily news. Everything that comes against and draws people away from one another, isolates people, separates people. Everything that would do that, Jesus on the cross put it to rest. He is our peace. You want to get along with somebody? All you have to do is not be selfish. Good luck with that without Jesus. <laughs> I know that from experience. It's, it's challenging with Jesus, right? Because I have to put away that old stuff. I have to change. I have to decide to sacrifice. I have to decide to give. You know, my heart broke when Andrew and Jamie said, we feel like God's called us to go somewhere else. And I was like, that's not God. <laughs> totally not God. <laughs> I didn't really say that. But that was my heart because I, part of it is I just love them so much and their family. But also what they were bringing and how the strength that they brought to us as a local body. But Jesus is funny about that. He actually thinks he's in charge. But you have to make a decision to let him be. And see, that's what, that's what this trip into Jerusalem on the donkey was all about. He came in peace. He came with grace. And because of that, there's a grace period. In other words, everything's due already. The payment's been due. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the payment has been due. And you owe something. You owe a debt. You can't pay. You don't have the money. You don't have the ability. You don't have what it takes. The only thing that could pay that debt was the perfect blood of the Messiah. The perfect lamb. Not a lamb, not an animal here. That was a representation of what he was coming to do on that cross. And so he came and he was perfect and righteous in every way. And because of that, the Bible says in Hebrews, he has a name that's higher than any other name. But what he accomplished by doing that, he is now freely given to you. But it's not automatic. You have to take it by faith. You have to believe that it's true. And then when you receive that, it's been made available. But when you receive it, it becomes yours in practice. And you begin to see what I remember. Because I remember I stopped cussing 
I was in the military. We just, we cussed like we breathed. <laughs> that's just the way it was. I mean, you're just mad about everything. I think that's part of the military. It's like they want you angry because you need to go kill people, right? So like, it's, not, it's not easy to do when you're a passive kind of guy, right? And so I was just, it just went away. There were other things I had to let go of the patterns in my mind. We've talked about that. But there were so many things that the moment I received Christ by faith, there were so many things that just fell off my life. He'd done for me. It's amazing. The most sig- significant thing about this donkey was that it was a contrast to the war horse he could have come on. Christ could have come first as a warrior, and he didn't. And that's really, really significant. Even when he was on the cross, the Bible talked about that. It said he could have called thousands, multitudes, millions of angels. At any moment, he could have cried out because he was perfect. He had perfect relationship with the Father. He's God. He has authority over everything, including the angels. And if you know anything, you see Scripture, when someone meets an angel, they would immediately fall as as if they're dead. They're blown away by their power, their majesty, their authority, their strength, the possibility of vengeance. And they're all armed, apparently, in Scripture. (laughs) I don't know what they're wearing now, but, you know, they were wearing swords back then. Maybe they've got tanks now. I'm not sure. But the point is, he could have called those angels at any moment on the cross. He could have said, I changed my mind. They're not worth it. And you and I would not exist as we exist today. Hell would have come quickly. But it didn't. And it was pushed to the absolute limit. Think about this. He was pushed to the absolute limit of wanting to give up. Even in the garden, before he went to to the cross, he prayed. Because he knew. He knew what was ahead of him. And he was perfect in every way, so he understood it perfectly. Not like us. We need revelation for that. He didn't. He understood it perfectly. And the Bible says, when he was praying, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me. And there's a pause, and he says, nevertheless, not my will done, be done, but yours. And he said it three times. It's not an accident. It was heavy on his heart. And on the cross, when he breathed his last, the only thing that did that was not to make himself righteous. He was already righteous. It was to make you righteous and me righteous so he could be with us. So here's the beauty of the, what, riding, riding in a donkey. His heart was, I, want, I don't want to be right. I don't want to just be right. He can't help but be right. He can't help but be just. But in the cross, he made a way to have justice and mercy at the same time. And we miss that part. And so he brings mercy and he says, Father, forgive them, even on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. This grace and this mercy and compassion is pushing. So the question is, when he's come, he's offering salvation. It's what he's done. It's what the cross is all about. It's what the gospel is. It's the good news that you were lost and undone. You were under condemnation and under judgment. The only thing awaiting you was wrath. The wrath of God, the Bible says, would abide on you if you didn't know Christ. And it does steal. To anyone who doesn't know Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. And people get this wrong. They're like, why is God so angry? Because he's perfect. Because righteousness is who he is. Not what he does. It's who he is. And everything about injustice violates someone who is justice. But even in all of that, again, what he could have done is just mashed us out of existence, quite frankly. And his heart was so full of love for you and I that he wanted to find a way to take away the sin so that he could have you. 
And that's what the cross was about. That's what the donkey was about. It's coming in peace, right? So that he could offer peace. So he could say, I want to bring reconciliation between you and the Father. I want to make you a son again. I want to put the robe back on you. I want to give you your authority back. I want to give you your inheritance. Everything that the enemies tried to steal from you. Everything that you gave away because of your open rebellion against God. I want to give it all back. I want to give it all back. But you can't do it your way. And see, that's, we're going to get into this as we go into um, this God Reigns um, series as we go forward. Is that Jesus gave us a revelation of who God was and how he is and his character and his nature and how he acts. You don't get to choose who God is. You don't get to choose how he acts. You can say yes or no. That's your option. You can receive him or not receive him. But when you see his great mercy, what happens is our heart is overwhelmed. Let me read you just two more scriptures and then I'm done. There's coming a day, the Bible says, <clears throat> that everyone's going to bow. His authority is absolute. Let me just read this scripture. This is Romans 14, 10 through 12. It says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So there's only two kinds of righteousness. One is self-righteousness, and that one's pretty obvious what it looks like. And the other is the gift of righteousness. So you can try to exist in self-righteousness, but the Bible says that all of your righteous deeds, no matter how many, have been violated by one single act of breaking the law. The moment you broke one single law, you became a lawbreaker. You can never not be a lawbreaker because you've already did it. You already broke the law. And Jesus never broke any law. He never violated one commandment of God. So he was never a lawbreaker, which gave him the authority. It gave him the validity to offer his blood as a sacrifice for you and I. But it says here that all of us are going to stand. All of us are going to stand before God. Nobody gets a pass. Yesterday I was coming out of the coffee house. Um, been working on Easter stuff and all that. And I walked out and put my backpack in the car and looked down. And somebody had sideswiped my car. I, I had it 20 days. <laughs> I don't even have a tag on it yet. <laughs> and now I was like, well, it's easy to identify now. It's not like every other SUV, so it's very personal. You know? <laughs> and what's really sad is, you know, right before we sold the other car to buy this one, we want to buy an SUV so, you know, we could take a, a, go camping and pull a camper behind us. Anyway, we sold the other car, and right before, we, the week we sold it, as a matter of fact, we had a buyer, and he was coming to look at it. And the day before, I'm walking out, and I see somebody had run into it and broke the fender on, on the front. So I went and took it in. It's going to be $1,000, no, $1,200 to get it fixed. So all the money we're about to make in this car. You know. <laughs> Somebody just hit me and drove away. Just like yesterday, they hit me and they drove away. And then probably two weeks when I first got that car, two weeks into having that car, somebody cut me off and ran me into a curb and broke the front end of the car. So I had to have that repaired. And they drove away and they, got, they went off scot-free. But did they? Now, that's a first world problem if I've ever heard one, right? It's a minor inconvenience. That's well, a major inconvenience. But still, it's just an inconvenience. There's lots of people in justice with people of, you know, sex trafficking. I mean, you just think of the things that have happened. Child abuse. Pedophilia. I mean, I, I can think, think things that begin to cry out in me, this sense of injustice, right? 
And we, all, we always judge ourselves. I've said this many, many times. I'm like, I judge myself by Jeffrey Dahmer, who was famous at the time I was looking into this. I was like, well, I never ate nobody. You know, I'm like, I never killed anybody, so I'm better than him. Yeah, and you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you throw a rock, and maybe you can throw a rock farther than me, but none of us are getting a rock across the Grand Canyon, right? And that's where we stood. And so there's minor inconveniences all the way up to major injustices. I mean, Hitler kills himself before the Allies can get there and put him on trial, right? Some of the Nazis in the Second World War were put on trial and found a way to get, you know, poison inside and took their own life. Some of the mass shooters who go out and kill a bunch of kids at a school and then take their own life. And the sense and this feeling in this world of what an injustice that they didn't, they didn't pay like they should. We all feel it. We don't t- typically identify with those kind of people, but we all have created injustice in our own life. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that. But something inside of us rises up against injustice. And what you need to know is nobody's getting away free. Nobody. Everybody gets judged. So how does that work? Here's, here's the answer. You can allow God to judge you on your own merit, and you will come up short. Or you can make the great exchange, and you can give your injustice, your brokenness, your sin, your idolatry, everything that you were, you can give that to Jesus. You took it on the cross, and in its place, you can take Christ's righteousness for yourself. The gift of righteousness now becomes yours. And on that day, you're not going to be judged on your own merit. You're going to be judged on Christ's merit. And His merit was perfect. And you are completely forgiven in every form and every fashion. But Dave, you don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. You don't know what I've done. <laughs> right? Never ate nobody, so you know that. I mean, I could be lying, but probably not. You don't know. And I don't know what you've done, but I do this. I do know this. God knows what you did. And he loves you anyway. And the whole point behind the Christ is to, the cross is to release you from the debt you could never pay. Let me read you one last scripture. This is Hebrews. And this confused me for a while, but you'll see why I put it in here. It says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, so many people... Christians fall into condemnation because of this scripture, because they read it out of context. And we've been told that, that because we've sinned after we became a believer, that now all of the righteousness that Jesus gave me goes away until I repent. And that's a whole other message. But it says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Here's what he's doing. Jesus is talking to Hebrews who have been putting their trust in the law. They're fulfilling. They're doing something to earn their own salvation. That's how they're thinking. And the law is just the law keeps telling them you can never do enough. You can never do enough. The law will never save you. Go through and read Hebrews. The whole point is Jesus' name is above the angels. He's above the priests. He's above everything. And that his name is the name of his name is the name by which we're going to be judged. Right? He's the one who's going to do it. And it says this: If you do this, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin. A sacrifice for sins. Why does it say that? Not that Jesus' forgiveness wasn't enough for a sin that you committed after you became a believer. But what he's saying is, what are you going to say is going to take away your sins if Jesus can't do it? He said, if you, if you keep 
sinning willfully. In other words, if you, if you don't recognize that Jesus has paid this price for you and you continue to sin and you continue to say there's some other way that salvation can occur, this is what he's saying. There no longer remains a sacrifice to sin. Why? Because the only sacrifice that was ever received was given on the cross on that day. There's no other name under heaven by which a man might be saved than Christ Jesus, right? Put our faith, we put our trust in him. So it goes on, it says this. There no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's what injustice deserves, right? We all know it. And so the people who you think got away scot-free, if they have not placed, if you have not placed your trust in Christ, then the wrath of God hangs over you in a way, this is the only way to say it, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Thank God Jesus came in peace on a donkey instead of a war horse. It says, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I remember reading that before I gave my life to Christ. I was terrified. You should be. We should be. Because injustice, injustice will not stand in the kingdom of heaven. But thank God someone brought justice on our behalf. So scripture says that the beginning, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So let me just take a second before I close and say this. That sense of dread that you feel, even if you're a believer, you feel it. Why? Because for a second, we see God accurately. His power, His fury against injustice, His anger against sin, every evil thing that's been done, His wrath, the Bible says, was stored up in heaven for judgment against it. Now think for a second what happened on the cross. Jesus comes to the cross and he makes the great exchange and he takes all of the sin of the world upon himself. Every injustice, everything you have ever done wrong or will do wrong, everything that everybody, seven billion people now and however billions have lived before, have everything that they've done wrong, every sin, every injustice, every brokenness, all of that now is poured upon Jesus. And along with that sin comes the wrath of God poured out on His only Son. Now do you know why He said, Lord, is there any other way? Father, is there any other way for, for this cup to pass from me? If there is any other way, don't we maybe talk about that, right? But this is what the Bible says. Three times He says it. And why, did, why does He settle it? And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And this is what the Scripture has been talking about. If there's any other way, Think about this. If there's any other way for sin to be taken care of, if you can do it in your own merit, if you can work hard enough, if you can give out enough religious tracts, if you can pray, if you can give money to the church, whatever it is that you think brings merit, if you can do that, why would Jesus need to go to the cross? 
If there's any other way to be saved, if Buddha can save you, Allah can save you, if any other religion, any other way, then God was a cosmic child abuser. But he wasn't. And in this great exchange, the Bible says that this fury is poured out on Jesus. Why? So that he doesn't have to pour it out on you. What's that all about? God takes all the wrath that was pent up against sin. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's taken away. And now you and him stand there, and you are righteous, and you can have perfect relationship with your Father. You can have the love of God. So the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So let me say it this way. It's not the end of wisdom. The fear of God is not the end of wisdom. What is? Let me read you this last scripture, and we're done. Romans 2.4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In other words, God has poured out his wrath on his son, so he has none left for you. That's good news. Jesus came riding on a donkey in peace. He came to pour himself out in mercy, in kindness, in goodness. And let me just say it this way. If you ever see the kindness and the goodness of God. The fear of God is there in the beginning, and it should be. That's accurate. That's true. If you don't, if you don't have fear of God, especially before you become a believer, you are deceived in every way. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But Jesus fell into the hands of the living God for you so that you can fall into the heart and the hands of the living God. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to pray a prayer. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, um, I try not to be too heavy, but I can't say it any other way. Um, if that's you, then the wrath of God abides on you. Um, I'm guessing that's not something you want. <laughs> but I don't want to pray a prayer so you can have fire insurance. It's not helpful. Even though it's true, you know, what Jesus did in, in accepting Christ takes your sin away. And it takes the fear of judgment away, and that's a good thing. But it's not the main thing. And that's the point. The main thing is he wants to be in a relationship with you. He loves you. It's his kindness and his mercy, his love. And everything, every way he could show you, he's shown you through what Jesus did on the cross. I love you. I want you. I want you to be with me. But you can't have it both ways. You can't be God and also God be God. You have to lay down your will. Just like Jesus did in the garden. You have to lay down your will and say, this is what I want to do. But Jesus, I'm going to do what you do. Father, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And so I just want to ask you, if that's you, and you want to pray this prayer with me, I'm just going to pray here in just a second. If you're online, you want to pray this prayer with me, join us in this prayer. And if you're a believer, as we ask for this, um, for people who don't know Christ, maybe take a moment and just say thank you for what you do have as a believer. And if you've been taken off to the side and you've gotten caught up in legalism, and the fear of God was the end of your wisdom, and there was this sense of dread because you weren't living it perfectly, go back again and understand the gospel and know that you are free from sin, that sin doesn't have a hold on you, that nothing is between you and the love of the Father. Nothing can take you out of his hands. So let me just pray this prayer. If that's you and you want to pray this prayer, just pray it with me. God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my brokenness. Forgive me uh, for breaking others and hurting others. Lord, I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that Jesus, 
is a Savior. So Jesus, I ask you to save me. Come and take away my sin. Thank you that my sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. And say, now Lord, I want to follow you. I want to get to know you. I want to know you the way you meant for me to know you. And so Jesus, as I open my life and open my heart and submit it to you, will you transform my heart, will you transform my life so that I can bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer, um, I would love to know that you did that. So if you did that, you're online, go, go to our website and send us an email. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'd like to give some information, some help on how to grow as a believer. Um, this morning, if you prayed that prayer here in-house, um, I'd love for you to connect with me before you leave. And let's talk about what your next steps are and how we can move forward. Don't forget to invite someone next Sunday. Um, most people will say yes if you invite them, if they're not working. So get past your fear and ask someone to come uh, be with us on Easter Sunday. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're glad that you're with us in-house and um, watching with us online. And if you need prayer today, we would love to um, join with you, come alongside with you, and pray for you. You can contact us at DothanCF.com. And if you're in-house, if you just raise your hand, we'll come and pray for you as well. So you guys have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you for Easter Sunday. Also, we just want to remind you that our kids' church is available as well. We are doing in-house services with our kids. So be sure to invite families with kids, and um, we will look forward to seeing you guys. Have a great week.